Hello there, and welcome to the Joyfully Black Podcast, where we have candid conversations with Black women on nourishing their mental well-being while balancing career, family life, and community care. I'm your host, Joy Dixon, a public health professional turned woman in tech and lover of seeing people thrive in their zone of genius. Hello, hello. I can hardly believe we are so close to our season finale. Oh my gosh. It has been such a learning process and launching and being with you week to week and then switching to bi-weekly over the course of this journey. Um, And so today is not the season finale. That will be next week, but I cannot wait to share with you lessons I've learned, some of my uh, takeaways from guests, and of course, feedback from you all. If you would like to share, and I implore that, feel free to reach out to me via email on Instagram at joyfullyblk. That's at joyfullyblk. I would love to hear from you. What are some of your favorite quotes? Uh, who was your favorite guest? What were some moments where you were like, hmm, that gave me something to think about? Please feel free to let me know. Um, In all transparency, it really makes my day. Anyway, so I want to hear from you. So that is next week. And without further ado, I want to tell you a bit about today's guest. I am so delighted to welcome Sha'Carolyn Stevens to Joyfully Black. Sha'Carolyn is a graduate of Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, FAMU, Go Rattlers, where she studied molecular and cellular biology. Her educational credentials also include a master's degree in positive psychology with a concentration in life coaching. Shakirlin has also earned a master's degree in divinity with a triple concentration in religion and race, witness and formation, and justice, peace, and conflict transformation from the Candler School of Theology at Emory University. After surviving a brutal rape and rebounding from her battle with failing health, Sha'Carolyn is no stranger to adversity. She has chosen to use the tools she learned in life and higher education to assist adults and teenagers in discovering and living their true purpose. Our conversation really flowed from discussing authenticity to and identifying the difference between imposter syndrome and when a space is not for you, that can be hard to determine, right? To deciding not to be known for a condition. As I mentioned, our guest did experience rape and although she does not go into detail on today's show, I wanted to give that disclaimer for anyone who is processing their own experience. From sharing how stubbornness saved her life to building a successful coaching practice and navigating life as a faith leader newlywed, we truly could have talked for hours. I am so excited for you to listen. And please be sure to share your aha moment by tagging us on Instagram and using the hashtag joyfullyblk. That's hashtag joyfullyblk. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Sha'Carolyn Stevens. I am so glad to have you on uh, this week's episode of Joyfully Black. It is wonderful to be here, honey. I say yes. Come on, Joyfully Black. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is so great to see you. You have no idea. Um, 
Yes, it is so great to see you. And, you know, Shakirlin, I don't know if podcast hosts usually do this because you always find out later that some hosts be knowing they, you know, their friends or whoever, but I don't care. Shakirlin and I went to FAMU together. We were, Maybe. <laughs> we were Rattlers, you know, Rattlers together at Florida A&M that sits on the highest of seven hills, uh, going through our pre-med classes together. And what's funny is that neither one of us went to med, ended up going to med school. So, which may, you know, dive into some of our conversation today, Shakirlin. So what I always love to do is level set for the audience. And um, because everyone's curious about folks' journey, right? And so um, you did graduate with a degree in science, specifically molecular molecular and cellular biology. Okay, smarty. And then went on to pursue a career that connects psychology and theology. So how did you get here? What really led you down this path? Because I know at one point you were doing chiropractic school and yeah, like, tell us. Well, you know, what's interesting, um, we, when we were at Florida a and my heart was really set on the sciences, medical school scenario. Um, I ended up getting really sick mm. while I was at FAMU. And my experience that with that helped me to realize, like, I really kind of wanted to go a more holistic route, um, which is how I ended up in the chiropractic realm. Um, it was really chiropractic, like, that helped me kind of get over some of the conditions I was having. I used to have really bad migraines. I had, you know, issues with my PCOS. Um, And so when I started seeing a chiropractor, all of that stuff subsided. But the interesting piece about it, it was what I noticed in chiropractic school is that while we had all these amazing chiropractors, you know, doing great work with the, the body, because basically they're functional neurologists. People think chiropractic, they think back pain and, you know, stuff like that chiropractors are essentially functional neurologists, right? And so um, what I noticed is that one of the issues that was happening though with, with patients is that there was a compliance issue. You know, the doctor tell you to do one thing, they go off and do another thing or eventually drop out of care. And one day I was sitting in class I love the sciences. I love chiropractic as a profession. I'll always be plugged in to the American Black Chiropractic Association as long as hell don't freeze over and the creek don't rise. Um, But I was sitting in class one day and I heard very clearly, your calling is to heal the spirit and not Mm. the body. Mm. Mm -hmm. I felt so strongly about it. I got up out of class. It was a Tuesday morning and walked out of class and never went back. Are you serious? Absolutely. Changed my major uh, to positive psychology with a concentration in life coaching. Um, And I I just didn't go back to it, you know, and it wasn't like, uh, oh, I don't want to do this anymore or anything like that. But sometimes when you get into a space, you have to fine tune it. Right. And then sometimes you just hard down how to do a pivot. (laughs) And that is what I did. And it was the best decision I could have ever made. So I still get to help my friends that are in chiropractic, you know, I still get to coach and do all those things, but I'm doing it from the other side. And that is what I love. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you shared that. And then when you did that hard pivot, well, would you, did did you consider it a hard pivot or did you consider something that totally made sense? Well, if I'm honest, when I was at FAMU, I thought about shifting my major. Mm. And I didn't have the courage to do it. And so one day I was like, you know, I'm going to just do it. Right. So I was thinking about psychology 
um, as well. And so I went to the building where I was supposed to be changing my major. And I said, well, if they're here, I'm going to do it. And that's just that. And the lady in the office said, oh, you just missed the dean. So I was like, okay, well, it's meant for me to, you know, stay here and keep working and and finish this degree um, where I started it. Mm -hmm. No problem. I love the sciences. It was great. Um, Ironically, the very day that I was sitting in chiropractic school and I left to go change my major, Mm -hmm. I ran into one of the deans that was associated with the program that I was going into. And she said, Shakirlyn, someone told me that you changed your major. Is that true? And I said, I did. And she said, well, you know, I went through halfway through a medical school program, realized that I love the admin side of it more. And she said, I changed my major and I never looked back. She said, Shakirlyn, don't look back. Mm. It wasn't until I got home that day that the pieces fell together. The same dean that told me, Shakirlyn, don't look back was the same dean that had went to lunch from Florida A&M. She had transferred from FAMU after working there for years and years into the grad school that I was at. And it did not click until that evening. And within six days, that woman had left. She'd only been at the institution for like six weeks. And so people were like, oh my God, like she she just came and she left and whatever. And I told them she wasn't here for y'all. She was here for me. Mm. Yes. When I passed her on that sky bridge, I was like, what have I just done? You know, that is, you know, sometimes we think entertaining angels unaware, but people cross your paths and you're right. She was there for you. I mean, folks won't be, won't be able to see, you know, my, my shocked look until they watch the video, but literally my jaw dropped when you said that was the same Dean that was at our undergrad university. Wow. That's a full circle moment right there. Definitely a full circle moment. And I realized that had I went to see her that day, she probably would have told me the same thing. Hey, I left for medical school and, you know, I left the hard sciences. Don't look back. But had she said it to me, then I would not have had the fortitude and all the experiences I had that led me up until that point, because sometimes we can feel like we belong in a place um, and start having second thoughts about it. But when you've flipped all the rocks over and you've looked under all the bushes and you've gone through all the experiences, you know, without the shadow of a doubt that this is the path. Like I had exhausted everything. I got the degree in molecular and cellular biology. I went on to chiropractic school, absolutely loved it, did well, but it just did not fulfill me the way that it fulfilled my classmates. And it wasn't the the science or the art or the practice of it. It was just that I felt that I needed to be somewhere else. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so today you have your own practice helping to heal the spirit, like that voice told you all those years ago. And how long has that been? I launched Virtuous Life Coaching and Empowerment in 2015 in February. So we just rolled up on seven years. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Are you doing anything special for seven years? I know people like to celebrate 10, but seven is a complete number now. You know, one of the things that um, I did for seven years was really take a look at it. I kind of flipped it up in the air 
and started really looking at, you know, how can we expand? What is this becoming? And I think even virtuous life has been a pivot, right? Because we we started out women, teenage girls, coaching, mentorship, things of that nature. And now it's completely expanded into leadership and diversity. You know, I run a Bible study twice a month. I'm getting ready to launch a book club for women of color. And so it has expanded so far out. And it was really interesting because when I went to grad school um, for positive psychology mm-hmm. with a concentration in life coaching, my pro- major professors were like, girl, you should not niche yourself as a Christian coach. Like you're not that it's already challenging, <laughs> you know, to get clients when you're in private practice and things like that. And the irony is that now I contract with corporate companies and most of my clients um, that are leaders, decision makers, they're on the leadership team, they're on the legal team for large corporations, Mm -hmm. they come to me because of the faith background. Even if they're atheists, it doesn't matter if they're Muslim, Buddhist, Christian, what have you, the whole gamut, they still come to me because while I'm coaching them through executive leadership, I also understand how their faith background either flies in the face of or undergirds the decisions that they have to make. And so it just melted together perfectly in that same biology degree that people kind of felt like, oh, I guess she's not going to use that. I use that as well, because we're looking at the theological, the biological, and the psychological perspective. And so I sit at that intersection and just, God just gave me the the privilege to melt all that stuff together. Oh, that's such a blessing. And it's interesting how your, your faith background is what attracts clients, no matter what their faith uh, journey has been. Right. And to me, that really speaks to a level of authenticity that one must exhibit. And I'm curious, you know, maybe it gets a little older. I'll say maybe it gets a little better to to walk in uh, comfort and to really feel comfortable in our skin as we get older. But I'm I'm curious, what has allowed you to to show up more authentically? Mm. That's an excellent question because authenticity is like a thread for me. I'm always talking to clients about their values and showing up authentically. And I think what's most important for me and what kind of helps me to continue to show up authentically is I I truly believe that we are like spokes on a wheel in life. Someone is waiting for you to show up in a place so that they can show up. I truly believe that. And so if I am not willing to say, hey, I've been where you are. If I'm not willing to say, this is what I did. If I'm not willing to say, yeah, I've had those same feelings also. Um, I'm doing a disservice to the people that work with me because people choose me because I don't sugarcoat. I'm also a licensed minister. And so practical application of the word of God, that's my thing. That's my jam. We're not going to sit here like this is fables and fairy tales. Like we legitimately dive in and kind of pick up the word of God and and apply it to to our lives and our decisions. And we kind of look at, you know, whether or not what we're doing kind of leans into or leans away from the canon of our faith. Right. And so I just really feel like wherever you are, it's important to show up. But what I realized is that I was very unhappy when I was not showing up authentically or when I was chasing the dream that other people had kind of put on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting to live now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you said so you can fully live now. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And what does that look like when you show up authentically? Like, how do you check in with yourself and know, like, because we all have moments where we can just, you know, what's what's the phrase that? Have a lot of kick it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. You don't have to lie. Yes, you don't have to lie to kick it. And so, and there's times when we do things we don't necessarily feel like doing because it's the polite thing to do or the socially gracious thing to do. As you are helping other women, other people in this and with maybe similar challenges, what lets you know, like, hey, I need to check myself when you may feel like, am I showing up fully? I think when I start to feel anxiety, that lets me know that it's time for an inventory check, right? Um, people, Most people that know me know that I'm really funny. I'm always cracking jokes and being playful and stuff like that. It has served me everywhere. I didn't have to cut that part of myself off in order to, you know, show up in the spaces I am. Even when I'm in the pulpit, I crack jokes. And <laughs> when I'm preaching, I crack jokes. When I'm coaching, I crack jokes. You know, when I'm with my friends. So, when I start feeling that little bit of angst or that little bit of anxiety, that's when it's time for me to take some inventory and figure out whether or not I'm even in the right place. Because when you enter into um, different arenas and you feel like you don't belong there, maybe it's because you don't. <laughs> you know, sometimes we go places because that's what we think the next step should be. And sometimes it's not. You get to make those choices. We have one life to live. And so I think that's really what keeps me wanting to kind of show up authentically and utilize my strengths. Humor is a strength. I use it. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious from your perspective, because there are times when people may feel uncomfortable, right? But how can we tell the difference between whether it's imposter syndrome or maybe something is just not for you? Yeah. So I hear the term imposter syndrome a lot, a lot. Um, Lots of people kind of struggle with that, um, especially when you come from different backgrounds. I think the difference between something feeling like it's imposter syndrome versus a place not actually being for you um, is what comes up over time. You know, how did you get here? You have to really ask yourself those hard questions like, why do I want to be in this space? You know, I recently got married and so many women are like, oh, God, I can't wait until I find my husband. And one of them, I asked her, I said, why do you want to be married? What is it about it that you love? Mm-hmm. So why, why do you want to go to school, medical school? What is it? Do you want the accolade? You know, what what is it? Right. And so that's I think that's one of the things that you really have to ask yourself. Why do I want to be in this space? And if if you come back with anything other than something that's strictly related to your joy and your peace and your passionate forward movement, you might want to reconsider where you are. Because sometimes we get uncomfortable in spaces because we're not supposed to be there because we're there for the wrong reasons. Mm. Yeah, that's something to really to really keep in mind. And you know, wanting to to hear more about navigating transitions. Could you could you share in addition? I mean, I know you you shared about, you know, school and how that was a big pivot. Can you think of any other times in your life that may have been a challenging transition and how you navigated through it? Because it can be so easy to I don't want to use the word wallow, but it can be to feel to get in a rut. I'll say that to get in a rut and not feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel. 
Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I think one of my toughest pivots, and I, I I hit it just like any other pivot, like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going to go with this. Um, but I think making the decision and responding to the call to go into organized ministry was probably my toughest pivot. I felt like I was literally on fire. I was inside the 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 inferno, you know, um, inside the furnace. And I think the reason why is because even though I knew I was called to this thing, I had some maybe unrealistic expectations about what seminary would be like or what ministry would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I expected us all to be in there with white robes and singing <laughs> all day long, but that wasn't it, right? So like seminarians, preachers, teachers, faith leaders are people, right? And so I had run, I think I knew I was called to ministry when I was 19 and I had run from it so long that I just, I, and the reason why I was I was running is because I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I felt like I had to have everything in order. I felt like I needed to be perfect. You know, I needed to know the Bible cover to cover and be able to recite every single solitary thing. Um, I needed to know, you know, the book of discipline for the church and, you know, just kept running and running and running only to get to a space and realize, oh, I could have been up in here. Like I could have, I, me and all my baggage could have came right through these doors and got healed and got prepared and sent out for ministry. So I think that was my hardest pivot because I realized that not only were people imperfect, you had some people that felt like there was imposter syndrome there. You had some people that were downright mean. You had some people that, you know, carry certain titles and mantles, but just directly go against the word of God. Like they just, want to, you know? And so when you're in those spaces, I think on the one hand in the natural, I was disappointed, but in the spiritual, um, I was restored because I realized that there is a work for all of us to do because I didn't go to seminary to preach and teach. I went to seminary so that I can rightly divide the word for virtuous life and the women that I would lead because it's a Christian coaching company. Mm -hmm. And when I got in there, it's like, God duped me like, okay, so now you're going to go and preach. And I was like, (laughs) what? Because my pastor had been saying to me for like three years, like, I see something in you. I see it. I see it. I see it. And I was like, this brother must be crazy. I ain't finna be nobody preacher. I come from a long line of preachers. I see what they what goes on. People get attacked. I see how the, the challenges and how you have to take away from family. Like, I saw all the crazy on the backside of that beautiful thing that you see on Sunday morning. And so I was like, absolutely not. My pastor is clearly insane. And then it wasn't two or three months into my seminary journey that it was like, yeah, you're going to respond to this call. Mm. And so so what has that path been like since you've accepted the call? It has been a wonderful thing because I get, like I was saying earlier, I get to bring Christ into corporate, which is something that was usually frowned upon. Mm -hmm. Um, I also get to work with different organizations and, and, and give people a safe place to say, I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. Or I have a faith tradition that I follow. You know, I give people the opportunity to figure out how that fits into who they are in the marketplace, which is a big deal as well. Because sometimes we think that if we're entrepreneurs or business owners or corporate executives, that there's no space for what we believe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so the journey has been great. You know, I've been leading a women's ministry for a good while at my church. Um 
also have a Bible study that's going into its second year. It's called The Well, and it's for women of all faith, you know, faith levels. So like you don't have to know every single thing about the Bible. You don't have to attend church every Sunday. You don't even have to be saved you know, to come to the Bible study. We just come in there and we do practical application and a little rap session at the end. Um, But more importantly, just being able to do your best to show up with kindness and love when you meet people and to to undergird people and to help people. Um, I think growing up in the South, you, you think of pastors sometimes as people that are you know, towing the line and pointing people in a certain direction. But what I realize is that when I show up authentically as a faith leader and potentially someone's pastor one day, it is with love. It's creating a safe space for a person to say, hey, I'm struggling with this because I, I truly believe that one of the challenges we have in the church is that we Bible thump so much that we force people to want to hide rather than opening up and saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Right. And so I definitely think I have a unique path, you know, in in ministry and definitely the call. But I have loved every single ounce of being in service and ministry. And so virtuous life also works with like infrastructure in churches. And so like I'm I'm the person that's like, hey, sister so-and-so might not need to be on the door. She's not too friendly, but she's really good (laughs) over here. Right. And so um, sometimes just just helping churches and faith leaders to kind of reorganize in a way that helps us to to meet the mission of the church. Mm -hmm. And that that really is a a skill and a gift to be able to hone in on the talents of others um, and, and really they call that a customizer. And I know that because that's actually one of my strength finders is being able to customize. You meet a person, you know, like, okay, this doesn't fit, but they would be great here. Oh, I love that. And I know that, you know, you're, you're working with a lot of different people, faith leaders, corporate organizations, and even I, I'm here in the infrastructure part too. And I'm curious as you're giving so much of yourself to others you know, I also know you are a person who values family a lot. You're, you know, close to your mother. And of course, you were recently married. How do you refill your cup? So I have boundaries. <laughs> and that's an excellent question for a person that seems to have a lot of irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. I do not work on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Friday is my off day. Anyone I contract with, they know, don't call me on Friday. My clients know. If you don't catch me by Thursday evening, you will not hear from me until Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the big things, being able to put boundaries around my schedule, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other things that really helps me to kind of refill my cup is actually saying yes to when I say what I want to say yes to and saying no to what I don't want to say yes to. Right. And so having the fortitude to say, you know what, I'm actually booked or, you know, I have something else coming up or I just won't be able to meet this commitment or I have too much on my plate. Sometimes we feel like it's a bad thing to say no to things, but I want to show up authentically in excellence. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm running like a chicken with my head cut off trying to get a thing done, um, that's not helpful to whoever is commissioning me because they're not going to get my best self. Mm-hmm. And so I refill my cup by kicking the anxiety off the boat <laughs> of having to say no to a thing or being okay to say no. Like I really had to realize like I am the CEO of my life. 
Yeah, no, you absolutely are. And I'm glad that you have that boundary and the the people in your life, including your clients, are aware that Friday is one of your sacred days. That's when your your weekend really, really starts. Mm -hmm. Not five o'clock on Friday, but the beginning, the top, at the very top. (laughs) Thursday evening is Friday. (laughs) Not Thursday evening. Evening. I have a lot of clients um, that work for tech companies. So they're out in Silicon Valley in California. So my five o'clock, well, their five o'clock is my eight o'clock. I might pop in at eight just to do some final checks on emails, but no, ma'am, Pam. <laughs> Your Monday morning. Yeah. Okay with that. Well, good. I'm, I'm so glad. And, you know, we've spoken a lot today about your pivots and how you've navigated them. What sort of advice would you give to a woman who who is trying to figure out the next step? They know that the situation they're in right now, whether it's career or family concern, maybe a romantic partnership, you know, may not be where they need to be, but they don't know what that next step is. What, what insider advice could you give them? You know, as I look back over some of the pivots, um, I would think sometimes your next step is often the healthiest step. So like whatever seems healthy to you, like if you're in a, a crazy relationship, toxic relationship, you know, getting out of that is probably going to be your healthy step, <laughs> you know, and your, and your next step. But also understanding that sometimes our next steps, we don't have to figure them out. They're right in front of us. We just might not have our lens trained enough to see it. It's kind of like that seeing the can't see the forest for the trees type of situation. Um, And what I realized is that a lot of times with careers and people look like I'm not happy here. What's the next step? What are you passionate about? What do you actually like to do? I've always been a helper. And when I was younger and people saw that I like to help people, they automatically equated that with medical school Mm -hmm. or being a nurse or something like that, being in that field. You can help people in a lot of different ways, right? And so I've had people when I was younger, and I think that's why it took me so long um, initially to be open to the pivots um, because people that I know and trusted were like, nah, nah, it's, it's just, it's difficult. You just should stick with it. And I'm like, no, it's not the difficulty. I don't think I want to be here, right? And so I had to get to a point where I was mature enough to say, no, this is how I feel. This is what I need. And I'm going to move with that. So I think in uncovering next steps, sometimes you have to look back over the journey. And I realized that talking to people and helping people solve problems and um, you know things like that, that's what I do now. And I've always loved it. In any organization, whether it's a service organization, anything I've been a part of, I always end up being the person that is doing that. Most organizations, most companies that want me to contract with them, um, they want me to either come in and help them write the ship or to come in and help them build the ship, you know, get the infrastructure together. That is my jam. That is my thing. And I always have done it. I just didn't realize I could monetize it. Like I was coaching before I knew coaching was coaching. Yes, yes. And I'm thinking back to undergrad and and some of the organizations we were in together. And yes, you were definitely a part. I mean, of course, you know, you know, I was busy as a bee on campus, too. But yes, I definitely 
know that you just accepted those sort of roles readily and was delighted to step in and make sure that people had what they need, the organizations would have what they need. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad. And you mentioned something too. You know, a lot of people, when they take a step back, they do get that pushback from family and people who do genuinely care about them by saying like, well, of course it's difficult, but whatever's worth it in life is. Right. How can, how can folks persevere despite that, that background noise? Because it's true. Medical school is difficult, right? Yes. We know that medical school, dental school, and we're using these educational things, you know, for this particular example, but that's, that's so true because I'm, I know we know a lot of folks who do not want to do, they're in jobs that they hate, but there's family expectations or lifestyle demands at this point. And there's that fear of letting go. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things is that you can't tell everyone everything. I think, especially in Black culture, but in a lot of um, cultures and communities where, you know, there's tight knit family structure, people kind of want what's best for the next generation, but it's often through their eyes. We're just now getting into a space where we're talking about self-care um, when we're talking about wholeness and authenticity and, and showing up, you know, the way that you want to show up back then you did what you had to do. You, you, you taught, you know, you went and worked for the state, you went and worked for the government, you went and went to the military, like the options were not there. But what I've learned is that you can make a living off what you're passionate at because you will put that time in to what you really want to do. But I would say, you know, respectfully, you have to keep things to yourself sometimes. And even if you do decide to share some things with family, um, you also have to be able to be an advocate for yourself and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. Or even to say, hey, I'm telling you this, but I don't really want your response. I just kind of want to share. I don't really need guidance or, you know, anything like that. And I think that's one of the best ways, being able to communicate um, what's happening in the moment. Like, I'm trusting you with this information. Trust me, my mother was not happy when I popped up out of chiropractic school and decided to go into psychology because what's the first thing people say when they think of psychologists? You're not going to make any money at that, right? You No, you got to at least have a master's. You got to at least have to like, it's too much to make money at psychology, which isn't really true. And by by stepping out on, on faith, you're also showing people in your family that there's, that there's many ways to make not only make a living, but it's so many ways to show up in the world. And it once again encourages them to do the same. Yeah. I was thinking back to a, a previous episode um, that was released recently about how, you know, Women's History Month but how we're making our own history every day in this, in this ecosystem of our friend circle, our respective communities that we may belong to, even in the workplace, how, how you show up, you may be an example of the only time someone has seen somebody who is like you and that yeah. gives them the courage to do the same. Right. And, you know, that's really kind of how I got into um, the motivational speaking and the coaching realm professionally, because I would go and um, I would I would talk to people. I would, you know, be invited to keynote 
And, um, you know, when we were in undergrad, I was sexually assaulted. I got terminally ill when I was an undergrad. So it was a battle to get to that finish line. And so going different places and speaking to groups of women and men, sometimes people would come up to me after and they would say, I have a cousin or I have a sister. They went through the same thing. They didn't make it or, you know, they didn't come out the way that you came out. And so I realized that I had more resilience Mm. also. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't that I just was graced with all this resilience and I could just kind of coast over things because in the psych realm, we know that emotions that are buried don't stay buried. But it was just the fact that my mind worked differently from the perspective of, am I going to lay here and die or am I going to try to get up and do something? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, depending on where you're coming from and what you've seen, you might think that your only option is just to lay down and take whatever's happening to you. Um, it, re- it reminds me about this story in the Bible about the man with the withered hand. So often in the Bible, you'll see people that have particular conditions and that's what they call them by. They never name them, right? You don't have to be known by your condition. You can use that <laughs> to help others get up and reach back. Sometimes we don't like to do that, but ultimately you get to reclaim who you are. I am so much more than a rape victim. I am so much more than a person that was terminally ill in college. I am so much more than a person who grew up in a single parent household, you know? So there's so many other things that you can kind of link into and you got to let that be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to, you know, just be Sha'Carolyn and not allow myself to keep being known. And I think word of caution um, with the social media realm and all these people that are now like, oh, you know, I'm a coach. I'm this, I'm that. They're not certified a lot of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes they want you to kind of draw people in based on um, the trauma and based on like, oh, this this group is for women that's being cheated on or this group is for women that have been raped and assaulted. And, and you know, some of those groups are helpful, but you can't let that be the stopping point. Like at some point you have to get the Red Sea party. Yeah. So that you can move on and, and, and untether yourself from the trauma of your past because you can do it. And so one of the things that I always say, you know, when I'm in those moments and I'm talking to people that are really, really low down because I've been there, mm-hmm. is that plenty of people have been to hell. Only the strong make it back. Mm-hmm. Are you coming back or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's for you to do when you get back here. For sure. And and what do you think helped foster the spirit of resiliency? Because that, because being resilient is something that is, it's, it's a trial by fire, right? I mean, when you're tested, that's when you know how resilient you are. And I know right now there is um, a line of thinking about, you know, how Black women in particular shouldn't be praised for being resilient, which, which to be honest, I, I agree with, like, Yes, we had to be strong because we didn't have any other choice. Like, we want to rest too, okay? We would, we would like to make sure we have Fridays off and it'd be okay. We want to make sure if we take an off the week from work, that'd be okay. Or take a nap, not because I'm sick, but because I feel like it, right? Mm-hmm. Around resiliency, I still think it's, I don't think it's something that we should be forced to have to exercise, but it's, some, but it's still something that helps to, to buoy us in turbulent times. Right. And I'm, I am curious what fostered that in you? Cause that is, this is like a theme that has been coming up recently as I'm talking to various women. 
So I read this book in grad school and it was called The Upside to Your Dark Side, Mm. right? And so it kind of touches on and is around the concept of those things that might be seen as negatives (laughs) to some people, but it's positives to others. Uh, I was just too stubborn. I was just too stubborn to lay down and die. I couldn't. When I first started at FAMU, um, one of our humanity professors, he was like, we were introducing ourselves in class. You know, you do first day. And he said, well, come, come see me at the class. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, what's going on first day? And he said, where are you from? And I told him, you know, I was from Polk County, Florida, small town, Bartow. You know, OK, Bartow, stand up. But <laughs> from, you know, small town America. And he said, mm, I'm surprised. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because you're well-spoken. And I was like, what? And so I'm thinking like, oh, this man must be crazy. And he said, where you're from, people are known for cocaine and strawberries. Mm. And if you don't get pregnant your first semester, you'll be successful in life. And so while as offensive as it was for him to say that, he was right. There's a lot of trafficking where I'm from. We do have migrant farmers, oranges, strawberries, things of that nature. Pepper, you know, comes from my region. Um, But the reality, I was too stubborn to let that be my reality. Mm -hmm. So I made sure (laughs) that when I graduated, you know, this brother got an invitation and all of that, because at the end of the day, I just was too stubborn to give up. Even when I got terminally ill, when I was at FAM and, and my doctors were here in Georgia and they were like, listen, you just need to come on back home. This is too stressful. You know, the sciences, your condition is aggravated by stress. And I wanted to finish that family, but I was just too stubborn to let them be right. And some people look at stubbornness like, oh man, that's, that's not of God. Like that's not a good thing. You shouldn't be stubborn, but some things you need to be stubborn about. You need to be stubborn about not letting people promote and project their feelings and thoughts onto you, especially if they are negative about your future. You need to be stubborn about overcoming policies that are not even written most of the time that keep women, especially Black women or anybody else, out of the upper echelon of spaces that we deserve and have worked to be. You need to be stubborn about being found by and finding the right mate, especially depending on where you are in leadership. You have an added responsibility to find the right mate. You need to be stubborn about that. You need to be stubborn about your health. You need to be stubborn about your finances. And so some people say, oh my God, people just reveling in, she reveling in her being stubborn. But my stubbornness has saved me because there was plenty of times when nobody would have thought anything less of me for laying down and dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been through everything, been through it all. And so, you know, from that conversation with my humanities professor, and I won't call his name, but, you know, um, he was, when I look back on it, I was a walking statistic. Mm. You know, like there were so many different things that had happened in my life, you know, coming from a small town, being raised by a single parent. My dad had, Um, a drug addiction, you know, that he was battling at the time. And so it's like, I should have been addicted to drugs. I should have been pregnant my first semester and dropped out. You know, I should have been a single parent, you know, all these different things that do hinder you in life a lot of times, or they give you the fire that you need to push past. But baby, it was the upside to my dark side because I just refused to let other people's negative thoughts about the statistics that were printed on my back mm-hmm. on my reality. Mm. Now, 
you said they were not going to have the victory and and you were not going to prove them right. You were going to show them who you wanted to be in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I love that. And um, I know uh, we do. There's a lot of reflection. Right. And if you could go back and talk to your younger self about mentally nourishing yourself and and providing self-care, what would you tell her? I would tell her, you're going to get where you're supposed to be. I definitely used to be a person that wanted to have the 10-year plan, the five-year plan. You know, the next 10 minutes had to be planned out. I never liked doing anything if I didn't know what the outcome was. Um, And sometimes we call that control, but a lot of times it's protection because we've been traumatized a lot of times. Um, And so I would go back and tell her, you're going to get where you're supposed to be. I didn't change my major with that dean from FAMU at the time I wanted to, but it eventually got changed with her. You know, like I didn't um, go into the professional realm, like where I thought I would. And like, as soon as I thought I would be done with things, but here I am now and I have the tools, like I'm equipped Right. And so sometimes we can plan things out and want to hit a certain level at a certain time, but we're not prepared or equipped or mature enough to be at that level at that time. And I promise you, you don't want to be pissed off about not being there because when you get there, you need what you need. And so even with um, being recently married and and I married someone that was a childhood friend. So, you know, so it's a cute little story, but um, I married someone that was a childhood friend and we had talked about um, how had we met earlier, what our relationship would be like. But I think we both ultimately decided that had we met each other when we, when, when I was thinking like, "Mm, hey, you know, like (laughs) we wouldn't have had the, the experiences that we have had that make us love each other and support each other the way that we do. And when I think about younger Shakira and how she might've sabotaged or, you know, mistreated or not even, you know, recognize the, the value and the gift that I have in myself and in my husband, it makes me cringe sometimes. Um, and so sometimes we just have to get to a space where we understand that when it's your turn, it's your turn. But in the meantime, gather all the tools that you can. Yes. Get ready. Prepare yourself. My godmother told me that also um, about maybe seven or eight years ago. And I was like, you know, I want to be married and, you know, I want to have kids and I want to do this and that and da, da, da. And she said, Shakira, if you want to be married, you need to train. And I was like, train? What are you talking about? Training. Like people train for track. Like, what are you talking about? Train. And she said, when you're tired from work, come home and cook a meal. Clean the house when you don't feel like it. And she kind of rattled off this list of things because she said that's what marriage and having a family is. You can't not feed them. You can't not have a clean place for you and your family to reside. And so in that training, I I was always, always very clean. But what I realized the training for me, and that's the thing you have to figure out how to take the meat and spit out the bones. Mm -hmm. The training portion for me was to get confident in who I was and to better understand how I wanted to show up as a spouse, right? Mm -hmm. So a person that's insecure 
will have challenges as a spouse because I guarantee you other people will see your spouse and think they're attractive. You can't just pop off all the time. These people don't even know them. You know what I mean? Other, there will be times when people will want to try you, right? And you have to be confident enough to say, "Uh uh-uh, baby, I'm married. Get away from me, right? You have to be confident enough to say that. But more importantly, what happens if you have a spouse that's a strong leader on either side, right? You have to be willing to kind of hear them out and listen when you all are making um, decisions for your family. And the great thing about my husband is that we realize like, okay, in some instances, he's the expert in the room. In other instances, I'm the expert in the room and we don't battle about it. We just yield and it works. And so that's something that maturity, it comes with maturity. And my godfather, he once said, you'll never be elevated above your liabilities. Some of those insecurities, some of that trauma, some of that, oh, I need to check phones and all of that. You want to be a wife, you got to figure out how to let that stuff go because you'll never be elevated to that mantle and have it um, with love and operate in excellence as a wife if you allow the liabilities to creep into where you've been blessed to go. Mm, mm. That's that's interesting. And it sounds like you have some, some wise people around you. And I think that that relates to almost any level that you want to get to, whether it's wanting to enter marriage or some for some women who want to be mothers or if, or, you know, I would, I don't say mother by choice, but, or whether they're a part of a village, you know, or they want to show up in a certain way, it's preparing. And what does that look like? A person who does this role well, absolutely. Just like we, just like you would train for a marathon. Yeah. You got to train to enter those other phases of life that you see yourself entering at some point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and really be honest with yourself about what the li- those liabilities are. Right. Like I'm a faith leader. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, you know, social media, you see pastors post different things and everybody's like, ah. and then people say, oh, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Da, 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 da. When you accept the call to lead people, you have to have a level of maturity. There are some things that you just naturally give up, not just because they're biblically based things, but you want to make sure that you're not being a stumbling block to others. Because what happens is that people have respect for the church, even if it doesn't look like they have respect for the church. And so faith leaders have to be cognizant of the fact that people are watching them. Maturity is a requirement for this job. If you have a medical doctor that's about to open your brain and do surgery, maturity is a requirement for that. I don't need that person to be feeling some type. If if he got to close me up without finishing, I need him to do that to save my life versus erring on the side of ego. Mm-hmm. That's a maturity thing. Mm-hmm. I need you to be mature if you're going to be my husband, if you're going to be my doctor, if you're going to be my accountant, if you're going to be my counselor. I need you to have a certain level of maturity because not having that is a liability. It might be one that's strong enough that that would let us know that you shouldn't even be in this space. And you know, Shakirlin, as you were talking, it really made me think that a common thread amid making pivots, it is the maturity aspect, but mm-hmm. it's also putting aside ego that maybe you were wrong or maybe some things have changed and that's okay. I'm, I'm really going to reflect on that some more, but that's what really came up as I was listening to you because oftentimes, just like if you're in a 
you know, a terrible relationship, sometimes you don't trust your judgment as much. You're like, how did I let that happen? Or if you go to a job that you thought was going to be great and it turned out to be horrific, you're like, how did I not see this? Mm-hmm. And it's giving yourself grace to know that you didn't know what you didn't know at that time, but you've learned and you have this experience now and putting that ego to the side so you can do something different, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And child, I can just, I have just as much ego pivots as I have with <laughs> Um, but one of the things that really was important and it, it dealt with ego as well um, was the idea and the concept of fitting in. A lot of times leaders do not fit in mm-hmm. because if everybody can lead and be at the front of the line, they will be there. Right. And so a lot of times in organizations where you have Um, these positions that are heavily coveted, um, people want to be in them. There's always a remnant of people that can't get there that sit to the side and it becomes like a supercell of negativity. And if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into that. But sometimes ego says, oh, y'all going to deal with me. You know, I'm coming into this arena. Mm Mm-mm. Um, I think it's one of the great ways that I've been able to navigate church life because I don't belong to any group. Like, you know, we always talk about church cliques. Mm -hmm. Of course, I have people that I love, that I like, that I'm closer to because we've had different conversations. But I've talked to everybody. I work hard not to exclude people and, you know, try to belong to a clique. But just understanding that leaders lead from the front. Mm hmm. Doesn't mean you're better than people. It just means you have more responsibility, but you have to put your ego to the side and understand that there are people that cannot be where you are and it doesn't make them bad people. It's just that they're not called and or grace to that, to that position. Yeah. And you have to be okay with that. And then when you get certain positions, especially if you're elevated over people that either try to stop you or had stuff to say about you, you can't then turn around and say, nah, 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 nah. That's where that maturity comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, elevation is an opportunity for assassination and you have to be guarded. You have to be prayed up. You have to be, you know, learning your position. You have to be learning your job. You have to be using the tools. You don't have time to be trying to oppress or shame other people that are not where you are. So ego and arrogance are right there together. Like understanding that you might not fit into every place that you are called to. And that is for good reason, because people cannot be too familiar with their leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell that, you know, you've done a lot of study over the years. You have sounds like you have good counsel around you. When you think of um, some resources, what what sort of materials or books or, or or items would you recommend, whether it's music or podcasts or books that have been particularly helpful to you? Well, I have three or four bookshelves in this house. <laughs> so I can just take a peek over here. I would say for women that are that are dating and want to be married um preparing to meet a help to preparing to be a help meet by debbie pearl Mm -hmm. um single dating engaged married is another book and it comes out of the passion city church i can't think of the author's name right now but it comes out of the passion city church those are two great books 
Um, also, there's a book by Priscilla Shirer, Discerning the Voice of God, probably the best book I have ever read, Discerning the Voice of God by Priscilla Shirer. I give it as gifts all the time and people read it over and over and over and over again. Um, so I would say that, let's see what else I got on this bookshelf. I'm a Howard Thurmanite, anything by Howard Thurman. One of the greatest lessons I learned when I was a researcher for the Howard Thurman archives. He said one day in a sermon, moments of truth are singular. Mm-hmm. And that thing freed me. And what he meant by that is that you can basically talk until you're blue in the face to a person trying to make them understand, trying to get them to get something. But it's not until people are off alone by themselves that sometimes they have those aha moments, right? And they might not even come back and tell you you were right. But it freed me because I used to be the person that wanted to save everybody. And I'm like, don't you see this? Like, I'm trying to tell you, like, these are the facts. And I have really had to understand that people get to live their lives however they want to live it, even if they want to stay on a sinking ship. So anything by Howard Thurman is going to get you all the way together. And I think, you know, those are those are probably my top. And I, I have plenty of other books, but those are probably some of my tops. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Shakira Lynn. And then, you know, a quote that I I say to to all of my guests is um, one of my favorite quotes is when you discover something that nourishes your soul and brings you joy, care enough about yourself to make room for it in your life Mm. by Jean Bolin. And so I'm curious, what nourishes your soul so much that you absolutely create space for it? I would think the thing that nourishes my soul the most is joy and laughter. I think growing up in the deep South, there were so many, you know, women are to be seen and not heard. Cover your shoulders if you're going for an interview. Wear your hair like this or like that. And as you can see, my hair is locked and people freaked out about it. Um, But I think allowing myself to have joy without all of the rules pushing the envelope sometimes and just flat out breaking those unspoken oppressive rules. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that really brings me joy because it's in those moments that I realize that I truly live. Mm, that's beautiful. And True. what, what have you broken out of recently that brought you joy? <laughs> well, I am my mother's only um, daughter, biological daughter. I have a sister-in-law that we're She's been my brother since I was a child. So, you know, we're very close. Um, When I got married, there was the expectation that there would be this huge wedding and all of these things. And, you know, my mom wanted it. The family wanted it. My aunties that look at me like I'm their daughter, like, yes, you know, our daughter's getting married. My husband and I made a decision to go to the justice of the peace in the town where we grew up and where we met And we went and got married with two of our close friends. And that is it. Mm. We didn't take parents. We didn't take anybody. And it wasn't a slight because we do plan to have like more of a formal ceremony or reception at some point. But we had trusted God with our relationship so much that when it was spoken to us that our next step was to go to Georgia. We wanted to go together. We wanted to be together. We knew that we wanted to spend our lives together. We just did it. Um, I think that was one of the most important rule 
breaking moments I have ever had because it was perfect. I mean, he put on a suit and I just put on a white dress. I made my own bouquet. I had a little, you know, little little church mother fascinator on top of my head with a little lace and it was real dramatic. Um, But it was one of the best rule breaking experiences I ever had because we didn't have to be stressed out about whether or not things were perfect and where was the wedding planner and, you know, a bunch of money on different things. Like it literally was us. And the first part of the vows that they gave us at the courthouse was, I have chosen you out of all of the world. Mm. And I think it really just continued to set the tone for our marriage as it had in our relationship, just me, him and God, Um, because we had chosen each other out of all of the world in so many moments, especially in that one. And I'm sure there were plenty of people that wanted to be there to witness it and to see it. But it was one of the moments, especially being public figures, he's a professional musician. Um, it was one of the most quiet and intimate moments either of us had ever had. And it was just us. And in life, we have family around us, but it's just us. And I think that's something that people should kind of look at when you think about marriage. We we put so many influences in and people in conversations. You've chosen each other out of all the world, not the other way around. So that was my recent rule breaker moment, but it was the best thing. And now I'm like, child, do we even need to have any kind of reception or anything? Because it was it was just perfect. Oh, that is so great. And you did look very cute. I saw the picture. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy for you. And and thank you for sharing that. That that was a, a great a great rule-breaking moment. Absolutely. And you will forever have such a wonderful story. Yeah. Forever. So, Sha'Carolyn, um, how can people keep... So, Sha'Carolyn, how can people keep in touch with you on or offline? Okay. Well, my website is www.virtuouslife.org. That's www.virtuouslife.org. You can also follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, I'm trying to get more friendly with that. Um, So it's under Shakiralyn Stevens. um, Virtuous underscore coach on Instagram. And also queensboutique.org. I recently launched a boutique um, that has a philanthropic arm. And so when people shop at the boutique, um, we use a portion of the proceeds to buy brand new wardrobes for women that are coming out of transition. And so I'm working on expanding that and, you know, getting that up to where it needs to be. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Oh, that's wonderful, Shakarilyn. And so I will share those um, points of contact in the show notes, as well as these resources that you shared today on the call. I am so glad you joined me today, Shakarilyn. Girl, it is good to be here. It's always good to be with a good rattler. Just a reminder of things you came over, financial aid lines, and <laughs> you at the juvenile justice center with initiating love and all the stuff that we did while we were at you. I'm super excited for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Yeah, when I thought of people, I was like, oh, I got to reach out to Shakarilyn. So I'm so glad that, that you were available and you know, just been rooting you on ever since our college days. So thank you. And you know, I love you because today is Friday. I know. I I realized I was 
like, oh, it's Friday and we ought to come, you know, we record. So, you know what? Maybe this didn't feel like work then. <laughs> it did not. It did not. I would not have dared not be here with you. And you just have always been such a jovial spirit and, you know, just a bright light, a bright light. And when we were in college, I was like, oh, I want to be just like Joy. Oh, girl, <laughs> you were just, you were just so good. Like you were so good at everything. And, you know, I was like, oh, I just love it. I, I literally used to be like, I need to be a good girl like Joy because I feel like I'm out here in these streets. <laughs> but I, made it, I made it back. <laughs> I made it back. I'm a good girl now. Oh, girl, you I made it back. <laughs> Well, no, I'm so glad we connected. And so um, I will have all this information in the show notes. I know our folks want to hear us kiki in for the rest, but thank you, Shakira Lynn. You are so welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for joining Joyfully Black this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give a five-star review and share with a friend. And be sure to visit our website, joyfullyblk.com, where you can subscribe to the show at Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next week, stay in the black, y'all.